Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone. And welcome to episode 264 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Chill and Hi. I'm back. Hi, Jill. Hi, Adam. You're back. I'm back. Oh, witty banter as opposed to myself talking to a microphone by my lonesome. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm married. You're married. I am married. Wait, I, we before we start recording, I didn't ask if you want to talk about it. Do you want to talk we about your talk wedding? We can talk about it. Go, so, what was your favorite thing? I walked in, I walked down the aisle to the Imperial March. Damn it, that's great. And only wow. two people knew. I kept it a secret. <laughs> that is really, really good. Yeah, um, my husband knew, and uh, one of my bridesmaids knew. And then about 30 minutes before the ceremony, we were hanging out backstage. Or backstage I mean, backstage. backstage. It's a concert venue. We are hanging out backstage. And um, the quartet, it was a quartet, played it, uh, was warming up. And one of the groomsmen goes, are we walking? Like, jokingly, he's like, are we walking into the Imperial March? I said, no, but I am. That's so good. Oh, my God. I've, I saw you, uh, I don't know if it was on Twitter or Instagram, but you said that one of your friends uh, – described your your wedding as Cleveland AF. Yes, one of uh, one of my uh, Ben's friends described it that way. Yes. Yeah, we it was it was good stuff. Uh good Cleveland stuff. We it was library themed. We're both librarians. Um we had our pictures on at the Cleveland Public Library and I've seen sneak peeks from our photographer and it looks amazing. Uh, the library. So There's like a couple we were shushing each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's and I felt so weird walking around, but um, I nobody know. I mean, like none of the staff was paying attention. I was like, "Yeah, you probably get this a lot on I, the weekends." It, I imagine. Yeah, for people who aren't familiar with the Cleveland Public Library, which is most of you, because most of our listeners don't live in Cleveland, uh, it's picturesque and gorgeous. So they're probably used to that. I think they are. Um, my sister-in-law got her engagement photos there, but not their wedding photos. So you one up them there. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Other other fun highlights? Anything else? Anything? What flavor cake? Oh, so we had multiple flavors. Um, it was all white cake, and then we had different fillings. There was uh, lemon, mm-hmm. raspberry, and caramel. Ooh. Oh, like three different layers. They weren't mixed or anything like that. I think I would go like a little bit of lemon, a little bit of raspberry. That sounds like a glorious cake. It was a pretty, it was pretty tasty cake. It was a local company here. Um, obviously. I mean, if you want to buzz market them. Oh, it was it was KB Confections, like nice. Ohio. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, now, did you guys get the food catered from like the venue? The or? venue catered, mm-hmm. and then we had the Swenson's food truck come. <sighs> Swenson's, for again those who probably don't know, the majority of you. Yeah. Um, is a local um, burger place. Um, that is LeBron approved. It is LeBron approved. Who we still love. Um. It's but it's really cool. It's like a um like a drive in yes. place where yes. you, you you drive park. and park. Yeah. They do they're known for their galley boys. Yes. Um we've had them come here to overdrive before. We have, that's right, yeah. So they actually just opened one up somewhat near They I, did. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't eat meat, so 
But I'm told their veggie burger is very good. I have not had it, but they do have a veggie burger. Yeah. That's awesome. So we had, yeah, Late Night Food Truck, which was a very big success. Yeah, that's... We played all of our music. Well, for most of the music was Yacht Rock. Yeah, we talked about this. That's right. It was magical. Do you want to describe what Yacht Rock is to people? Yacht Rock is like late 70s, early 80s, soft rock. Like, sort of imagine, you know, a yuppie on a yacht. (laughs) What sort of music would they be listening to? A sweater tied around his shoulders. Boat shoes. Yep. I think we described, I think when we were having this conversation earlier, I think it was, we described it as like the Doobie Brothers, but not China Grove. (laughs) Yeah, there was some like Toto in there. Um, There's some, we had some Fluid Mac in there. I mean, if you go to Spotify and look up Yacht Rock. Yeah, Simon and Garfunkel maybe a little bit. I think there was maybe maybe Paul Simon. But, okay, yeah. I don't think Simon and Garfunkel. But like Ohio and the band, Chicago. Yeah. Chicago. Um, Boston, maybe. I'm just naming cities I'm again. i that out. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like what other... I mean, like, I think, because I, I was actually driving home um, from work the other day, and um, the local radio station was playing the Weezer version of Africa. Yeah. And... Um, he like I think Africa is like the one that people know. It's mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like you have to have Africa. Like totally Africa on there. And the the DJ on the radio is like, yeah. If you hadn't heard of Yacht Rock prior to Weezer's thing of Africa, yeah, it's now a thing. I how how many more minutes of Yacht Rock talk do you think we can get out of this? <laughs> a lot. Yeah, we can get a lot. I know it's so good. It's I. It really is like a that's a that's really good wedding music. It was good wedding music. Yeah, we when we talked with our DJ, we said, um, you know, we we want to have a list together that makes people go, oh man, I haven't heard the song in forever. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I did have one of my bridesmaids during dinner come up, and she goes, "Your DJ has not played a single song from this decade, and I'm loving it." I'm like, uh, yeah, that was our intention. She has a Steely Dan on the list. I think so. But, like, I mean, I don't remember. I mean, on my personal Yacht Rock, when I do, yeah. um, I don't remember all that he played because we were eating. That's fair. <laughs> I'm, like, grilling you about specific examples about it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. Yeah. I uh, think there's Steely Dan on my personal Yacht Rock yeah. playlist. Speaking of Steely Dan, our social media specialist who we reference every once in a while, Ricky, was named after a Steely Dan song. So, there you go. Um, okay, well, I'm super glad you're back. Guys, I don't I don't know how people do podcasts by themselves where they talk for like hours because it feels so awkward just staring at our soundproofing, which is what is directly in front of me, and talking to myself. So I'm glad that you're back. That was even for just intros. I would be like, ugh. And I've, I never noticed it before, but when I do an intro by myself, I'm so like muted. It's like, hey everyone, I know it's Adam. <laughs> well, it's like, thanks for noticing. <laughs> um. I should probably talk about this episode. You probably should. Yeah, okay. So today's episode is an interview I just did with Guy Branham, who I love, 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 love. Uh, Guy Branham is the uh, host of a TV show on True TV called Talk Show, the game show. Uh, It's phenomenal. He also just had a memoir come out, which is why he's on our book podcast, called My Life as a Goddess. Um, In there, we didn't talk a lot about this, but he discusses um, his childhood as a young gay person with parents who sort of accepted it sort of didn't and then his life uh, just kind of discovering 
who he needed to be and all this. He goes through law school. Uh, one of the chapters is this ridiculously in-depth breakdown of the lyrics to Bohemian Rhapsody, which is amazing. Nice. Um, but yeah, we had a, a really good time. I got to, I made him laugh a few times, which he's also a stand-up comedian, so that's always like a goal of mine. Is yep. And I even told him before I asked him these questions that were intended to make him laugh, I was like, these are either going to fall flat or you're going to enjoy it. So um, I think we're buddies now, which is great. So Guy, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. He was like taking a break from his writer's room. So don't know how he had time to do all this. Um, but yeah, that's this episode. And if people want to get a hold of us, Jill, how can they do it and make you say this? <laughs> Uh, they can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. There you can find all of our social links. We are on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. You can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And on our website, you can also find out how to join our Viber community. Yes, you can. Um, thank you to all of our new followers on Instagram. I've been trying really, really hard to be active on Instagram. So if you aren't following us there, go ahead. Taking, We have um, some really cool lights in our office that I've discovered. There's like a little mini studio for taking pictures. I will show it to you afterwards because okay. I've just discovered it since you've been out. And I've been taking pictures of like books back there and it looks beautiful. It's like we have a, a room where our photographer takes pictures of people when they need like new headshots and stuff. And the giant lights in there are the huge professional ones. So I'm turning them all on to take a picture of books over and over. It's got great. it. I got um, it. So yeah, that's all on Instagram. Check it out. Okay. I think that's everything. Yes? I think so. Awesome. I'm so glad you're back. I hope you guys enjoy this episode with... Oh, no. I just stumbled over my own words. I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Guy Branham on this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hey everyone, it's Adam again, and I am super excited to be joined by Guy Branham, who is a hilarious stand-up comedian and comedy writer who has worked with massive talents, including Joan Rivers, Chelsea Handler, and Mindy Kaling. He's the host of one of my personal favorite shows on television, talk show, The Game Show, and he just recently released a new book titled My Life as a Goddess, which is now available everywhere you get books. So Guy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. <laughs> so it probably sounds a little bit weird for me to ask hey, can you talk about your book to get us going? So since it's a memoir, you want to tell people maybe why you decided to write this book now? Uh, well, every comedian is obliged to write a book at some point in their career, <laughs> and I figured, why not now? Um, and I really went at it sort of intending to write, you know, uh, a memoir of, like, humorous personal stories and stuff the way that, um, like, most comics do. Uh <laughs> And then there was a book editor who um, didn't end up editing the book, but she listened to my podcast, uh, which is about pop culture, and she was like, you should talk about your life and pop culture and, and how they dovetail together. So that was what I ended up writing. Uh, the essays in the book are, you know, usually contain sort of like um, stories from the life and like big issues from my life, and then I also look at the way the pop culture helped shape the way I like understood myself and the story. All right, so I I need you to clear something up for me as a stand-up comedian because I always think this. I love I love listening to audiobooks for stand-up comedians. I listened to your audiobook, which was like basically hearing you talk to me for like twelve hours, which was amazing. But uh-huh. as a stand-up comedian, as 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 well as a comedy writer and someone who has your own podcast, like, did you feel like you were chopping your own legs out from under you? Like, you have so much content in here that could be stand-up comedy stuff, or it could have been, 
you know, a part of your podcast. Like, did you ever worry, like, oh my God, where am I going to get all this content from? Um, no, it was more just lovely to be working on a book where I really could go um, on a deeper dive with stuff where I didn't, you know, stand up comedy is kind of, you know, it is glib, it is short. Like, stand up comedy, if you are the, the best, you get an hour on Netflix. Um, you know, like, my podcast is a conversation between me and other smart, great people, but it was really nice to have a book where I could just, like, focus on something and explore it for 12 or 14 pages and then move along. And, like, understand, well, if you're buying this... So many times I was like, uh, is, should I be writing this? Is this, like, will people be interested and about a particular chapter? And... It was like, well, guys, they're buying your book. They want you. So, um, you know, this is, you know, I got to go more in depth on stuff, and that was really fun. Did did it feel wildly different from? Because, like you said, stand up comedy is is a short lived thing, but obviously you you work on crafting the jokes for so long. But then when it comes to like writing for your TV show, like you have to like you know you and your team have to kind of write and churn out those jokes every single day. Like, did it feel challenging to kind of move yourself in that different headspace of writing these longer form essays yeah it was really hard mostly because i felt like i didn't know what i was doing and so it started out with a whole lot of um you know inactivity and terror and sort of like i mean the great thing and the terrible thing is i get to define what this book is like if i wanted this to be a book of recipes i could have done that uh, as it is, there's only one recipe in the book. <laughs> um, but um, once the deadline started looming, um, and I wrote like a, a first chapter that really sort of, and I don't mean the first chapter of the book, I, what I ended up doing at the point when I was like, I don't know what this book should be, uh, I watched what I knew was my father's favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had never watched it before, and he had passed away like two years before. But I watched that and had like a clear response of just sort of like, oh, this is the thing I should write about this. And once I was done with that, I sort of had a clearer idea of what this book should be. I really, really love, I mean, I love the whole thing, but that chapter, especially talking about your, your dad and your relationship together, like, I think a lot of times when people see a stand-up comedian that they recognize on a book, like, they might not be expecting these these deep, you know, really, really well thought out and, and beautiful, you know, parts of the story. But like, was that something when the the art the the piece you wrote about your dad? Like, did you find that more challenging to to write, or was it because it was you know a few years after his passing that were you able to kind of you know take a step out and and just write it, you know, a little bit easier than you than you might have thought initially? It was weird because my dad isn't around be mad at me for writing it like um you know it, it just it felt a little strange i mean always when i stand up i've talked about stuff that was sort of honest and personal mm-hmm. um but um you know i just felt odd about being so you know <laughs> in-depth personal so so publicly and mm-hmm. um it is weird when like there was one reviewer who was basically like, oh, this book is a good story, but it's not funny. And I was like, what do you mean? Um, Because I think, you know, I I tried to keep 
most of, I, I tried to keep the book funny, but I also tried to keep the book sort of like um, an honest expression of what I do, like you know of of all of me, you know, uh-huh. sort of like emotions, comedy, like the things that fascinate me, just to, to to like take people into the way I think. Like most of the time, I will sort of like edit that so that it makes sense to other people and in this book i really wanted to say like well no you're on nice earth now you like (laughs) i'll put in a footnote but i'm still going to use the reference that makes the most sense to me i I was just going to say as you're describing this i was actually kind of getting pissed off for you because to (laughs) me like when you see a book i I would hope that people would understand that it's going to contain you know multitudes like you are not just guy brad i'm a comedian you you have a certain background and you have a culture that you come from and you have things to say and you come from a certain family. Like to me, I don't know. I feel like when someone is going into a book, I would hope that they get that stuff out of there. And personally him saying it through that person, him or her saying it's not funny. That irritates me because I was laughing my ass off reading this. That's not a question. That's just me showering you with praise. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's very kind. It's very kind. I, I really, um, Oh, go ahead. Oh, but at the same time, I cannot complain about, uh, bad reviewers or people who saw things a different way because like at the end of the day I so frequently am commenting on things and you know I, I really respect that everybody gets to have their opinion and I think it's I mean at the end of, also at the end of the day like you want someone to have an opinion one way or the other you know I always yeah. like to think like apathy is the worst you know I either want someone to love what I'm doing or hate it what I'm doing so that at least they're talking about it one way or the other absolutely uh, I lo- you were mentioning in the footnotes. I absolutely love that these are a part of it, and I know that I'm. I'm guessing that probably came from your experience going to law school. Um. Yeah. I mean, I like when I first started stand up. There, one time I was like, "I'll do a set and I'll distribute footnotes before the set." <laughs> and that, of course, was a terrible idea. Um, but then when I read Bad Feminist, and I saw. Uh, Roxanne gave us uh, an essay about um, Scrabble, competitive Scrabble, and she heavily footnotes it um, because it is a dorky thing, so why not talk about it in a dorky way? (laughs) Um, And I, you know, uh, I thought that it would be fun and informative and a way of putting extra jokes in there. And then um, after reading Crazy Rich Asians, which has a bunch of footnotes in it, a friend of mine made the point that, like, footnotes as meta texts are actually kind of a very queer method of communication. That, like, mm-hmm. there's one conversation going on on the surface and then one conversation going on underneath the surface. Um, and I think that's part of what really appealed to me about them. Well, and and not only that, I I, I think that they they're twofold in the book. Like, there is the the footnotes that provide additional information about what you're talking about, like when there, when there are, there's some court cases in here that you reference and things like that. And, and that's very informative. Yeah. But then there's also stuff like near the beginning where you make a joke and in the footnote, it just says, this is a hilarious Anne Frank joke. And like, that, <laughs> I love that you use it as a, like a, a tool to, like you said it a little bit earlier, you're going to make your own jokes or your own references. And then you can use those to kind of clarify. Right. I mean, my, um, my options were either like making making the Anne Frank joke a little more obvious, 
because not everybody knows that her father worked in a texting company, uh-huh. or she's putting in a footnote <laughs> um, that says, um, you know, this is a hilarious Anne Frank joke. And the thing is, it's like, to me, there, there's, there's just something so specific and hilarious about the fact that it was a texting company. Um, <laughs> and um, I, you know, anytime I think of Anne Frank, it is the thing that comes to mind. And like, I'll, I would never expect to be able to tell that joke to you in front of you in a crowd. Mm-hmm. But like, again, in, at a home game in my own book, I get to reference the packing company. Yeah, uh, and I'll give you a nice little footnote to let you know what's going on. Ah, uh, it's so, I I like I giggled a lot while I was reading that. I'll be honest. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> the uh, the beginning of the book is really interesting to me. Where you talk about you have this uh, this kind of fascination growing up with encyclopedias, and uh-huh. so and I know that obviously the the you know, the point of the book, My Life as a Goddess, it's, you're really into, you know, mythology and stuff. So can you maybe just kind of go into how that started for you and, you know, what you were able to kind of to take away from a young, young child reading all about mythology? Oh, um, well, for the encyclopedia thing, we just, we got an encyclopedia when I was six and it had such clear answers to things. And I was always trying to understand how the world worked. And it was just something so nice about you could like, go and just read an article and then you would kind of understand how something worked. And so the clarity that came with that really meant a lot to me. Um, Greek mythology was just, you know, it's like fun and magical, like, you know, uh, like so many of the uh, adventure books that are for kids, but it's also got these like, um, powerful, like, universal kind of adult themes that are, like, baked in there. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, people are constantly getting ravished by gods in the forms of animals and stuff like that. Uh, And the reason I called the book My Life as a Goddess is primarily just because of one story. So, um, it is funny to talk about this on a a podcast (laughs) with us librarians. Um, uh, the, The, like, version of Greek mythology that I was reading as like a seven, eight year old were these collections by uh, a California librarian, like a school librarian from like the 60s. She did, she was an author in her own right. She wrote the book Blue Willow, but she also did these sort of like adaptations of, um, of Greek mythology. And there was one story about Apollo and Artemis being born where their mom, Leto, essentially gets made fun of for being a single mom when she's trying to get some water. And then she, like, is, is desperate because Hera has cursed her that she can't, like, find, like, safety anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, like, gets really sad. And then she's like, hey, wait, I'm a goddess. And she turns around and she turns the peasants into frogs. Um, and the line in it is, and then she remembered she was a goddess. Mm-hmm. And, like, when I am, when my friends are down in the dumps, when they are in a bad place, I will always tell that story and be like, you have to remember, you're a goddess. Um, and so that's what I really wanted the book to be, is me sort of saying that to all of the friends I haven't met yet. You know, like you have the option to to remember that you're powerful and use that power. I have to, there's just, there's so much in here that's so, you know, uplifting. It, I, it's, obviously it's a memoir about your life, but, and you call it both at the beginning and the end, kind of like a survival guide. And I, I've told 
you know, countless of my fr- countless friends that I have that are queer about your book, just because it is like, it feels like it's so, you know, it walks through your story more clearly and more just like, I, I don't know, it, it makes so much sense you explaining your story in here. And so I, I've told a lot of my friends who are queer, but I've also told a lot of my friends who are straight and may not know a lot of queer people because the way that you go through your life experiences in here, it's just, it. I feel like it gives people a nice and a beautiful and also a simple like look at the life that you went through and, and it helps people maybe realize like this is an experience that a lot of people have. I was I was trying to be funny, but I was trying to be honest at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like that's the kind of comedy I like best. And I think for queer people, because there has been such a tradition of hating and reviling us, a real fear of what will straight people think that they know what our lives are like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just wanted to talk about everything as honestly as I could. And I don't know that that's the real truth, but it's the best I could get out of myself. Yeah, and. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, I feel like even when I meet someone who may have a different sexuality from my own, like, I think it, it takes so long and rightfully so that, you know, people may have a guard up, even if I am openly and honest and, and tell them how, you know, important I feel equality is and all this stuff. I, you know, I feel like hearing stories like yours, it helps people understand, like, there is so much built up that has to, you know, that you have to go through to understand even at the point you've gotten to at this point in your life. And, and I think your this book, it just does, it does such a good job of, of showing that again to people who are queer, straight, or, you know, undecided. It's just such a honest portrayal of it. And it's really, it's fascinating to me. So I very much appreciated it. Thanks. I mean, just for, for so much of, uh, like the gay rights movement we've been having to say, we're just like you, we're just like you. Like, um, in the, the gay teen comedies that came out this year, both of them were like, I'm just like you. And there are differences. There are things about our lives and our experiences growing up that are different, and we kind of haven't been allowed to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I tried to talk about them. I don't know that I got at all of them, <laughs> but I did my best. I, I think you did a great job. By the way, I didn't intend for this to be like 25 minutes of me just showering you with compliments, but I hope you're okay with that. Oh, you're so sweet. You're very kind. <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. Who um, knows what the listeners are feeling. Well, you They're know... probably real done with this. So here's the thing. If they've, if they've already downloaded it, I already have the numbers, and we talked about the book right at the beginning, so they already know where they can get your book. So at this point, this is really just for you and I. Like they, they, they're, <laughs> they're fine one way or the other, I'm sure. All right, that's fair. Um, so do you have a preference between writing, like, this type of, a, like, long-form essays or doing kind of... I imagine the, the daily comedy writing that you do is so vastly different than the, from this that it probably feels like two entirely different, you know, exercises. It does, and it was really, it was really fun to get to do that book and sort of... You know, my editor was really kind and supportive, and so it wasn't like I was trying to satisfy someone else. I was just trying to make what I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, there are good things and bad things about having somebody else tell you what the book's supposed to like, or working on a TV show where somebody else is telling you what it should be. Um, but also, if things mess up, it's their problem, and all you have to do is just sort of do what they tell you to do. Where in a book, you really have to, you have to decide 
what it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, like, there, there, there were some similarities. Like, after I was done with the book, I just did a punch pass on it. Like, um, I read it and was like, where can I put in jokes? And I had a friend read it, and he was like, here are some spots where you can put in jokes. Um, and so I just tried to, you know, t- take those skills that I had learned from, like, TV and apply them to the book. That's super interesting. I, I would never think about that calling like a punch pass, but that is really what it is when you go through that second read. Instead of like, you know, editing a, a fictional story, you are. You're going in and you're telling more jokes. Um, yeah. I'm curious. So I know that you've written on other people's shows and, and helped, you know, do a lot of comedy writing elsewhere. But now as the host of a television show, like you're... I assume you're still in the writer's room, but does it feel a lot of, like different being the one who's going to be delivering those punchlines? Like, do you feel more pressure to make sure that jokes are, are tight or is there, does it just feel any different for you as a writer? Yeah. I mean, there are ways where I think it's also really important to just not want a soft joke, even if you're not the one delivering it. Mm-hmm. But it is harder when you're the person in the suit standing out there. Um, but the other weird thing about being the person who's on the show is just having to remember how to keep your writers in a creative space, mm-hmm. you know, how to keep them in the right state of mind to be able to do what they need to do. Uh, having to do a nine to five job that is creative, um, well, first of all, that means that you really have a 10 to seven job, um, <laughs> but like it's hard and it's hard to keep yourself in the right mindset um and uh, you know i don't know that as a boss i've always been great at it um but it is cool to watch people like i worked for billy on the street with billy eichner who does a better job than anybody else of making everyone feel really loved and supported in a writer's room so they can give him the best stuff possible um it's really smart and really impressive i i have to tell you of all the people in the world that I would like to be a fly on the wall to listen to you chat with, I would love to watch you and Billy. I just imagine you guys having absolutely phenomenal conversations, and I am so jealous that I will likely never be in a room to watch that happen. That just feels like a great combination. Um, it is It is really, really fun. And uh, it's interesting because, like, um, you know, we're, like, friends and we'll see each other socially and stuff, but for some reason, like, in a writer's room, where everybody's having to write jokes, like, that is when things get the most honest um, and the most ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's really fun. Yeah. Okay, so your television show, like I said, I absolutely love it. Talk show, the game show, it's amazing on True TV. People need to check it out if they haven't. But I, my favorite part about it is your lightning round questions. Uh And I am going to commit podcast suicide. I'm going to try, I have a couple of these written that I want to run by you. I want to see what your thoughts are. So I have some lightning round questions for you. There's only three of them. They are not anywhere near as good as yours, but I want to see what you think of these, okay? Absolutely. All right, I'm going to read them slowly because I don't have a timer here. So uh, the first one, the Beatles, a band people might know, put over 100 different unique characters in their songs over the years. Who has the less creative names from their parents who clearly just didn't want to forget who we were? You, Guy, whose name encompasses every male on the planet, or me, Adam, whose name is so bland that the Jewish version of God couldn't be bothered to think past his first option? Um, Adam is the worst name because it means dirt in Hebrew. 
your parents clearly should have named you Polythene Pam. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. As a fellow partial member of the Jewish tribe, my father is a non-practicing Jew, which makes me half-breed. I know that we were slaves of tradition and arguing with those that we love very often. So, who would be the Carl Reiner to your Mel Brooks falling asleep every night eating sandwiches from Jewish delis and watching old movies? Oh, what a wonderful, what a wonderful question to ask. I hope and pray that that is Aparna Nancherla. Do you know who Aparna is? I do not. Oh, she's on Talk Show the Game Show. She's on um, the Comedy Central show um, uh, Corporate. She just released uh, a Netflix special. But, like, uh, Aparna is the gentle soul who is, like, the perfect counterbalance to my extremely um, rough and demanding soul. <laughs> um, so, uh, check her out. She, uh, I, I, I hope that we can be... Uh, uh, 10,000-year-old men together. That is amazing. Okay, I have one more of these. So, the Jewish community is renowned for having provided us with some of the greatest comedy minds of all time. Gene Wilder, Larry David, My Uncle Tom, and the best of the Pines, (laughs) or the best of the Chris's, Pine. What do I have to do to get an invite to your world-famous Seder meal? Oh, wow. Where do you live? (laughs) Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, I mean, that would be a bit of a schlep. Um, but this is a really good start. The thing is, I maintain that my friends must be competing all year long to try to be making that list. Right. So this is a start, but I would say gifts throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I see a real spike in sales because of this podcast, it's going <laughs> to help out your chances, okay? That's, okay, I can absolutely make sure that happens. And for what it's worth, because I'm a, you're in L.A., I'm assuming, correct? Yeah. Okay. I have family that lives in LA and they're they're actually, I have a cousin who is married to an actress who's been on some stuff. So I feel like I've gotten in here and I will work hard to make sure that I, I know I have a few months here so I can earn the right to be there. Uh, sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. Fantastic. Okay, so I can't let you go as a book podcast without asking what are some of the books that you have read, either when you were younger or anything that you've read, like, this year that you're really enjoying. Like, what types of books do you like to read? Oh, um, this year, uh, I really enjoyed, I, like, consumed the Crazy Rich Asian series in, like, uh, a couple of days. Uh-huh. They're so, like, they're really fun. Um, Les, the novel that won the Pulitzer last year. Yep. It's so good, and, like, gay people aren't talking about it, Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of don't understand why. (laughs) Um, And then my friend Aaron Gibson just put out a book called Feminasty, and that's really fun and really funny. Um, So, those like, as a kid, um, like, from the midst of Thousand Mrs. Basil Frank Wilder was really transformative to me. Mm-hmm. I should have talked about it more in the book, but just, um, like, it was a children's adventure book that was about sophistication, not being in the woods. <laughs> um, and that really meant a lot to me. That's amazing. Okay, I know you're busy. I have one last question for you. What do you hope people take away from reading My Life as a Goddess? Oh, a very, very solid recipe for cobbler um (laughs) it's in the chapter about babette's feast and just understand that whatever you think you think cobbler is this is what cobbler is oh that is perfect guy thank you so much i had a blast thanks for having me this is really fun 
Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.